virtual salon. This salon is a bit of a special one because this actually marks just about one year since this whole thing has started. Because um, kind of do the math, 25 times two, um, I mean, no, 26, 25, anywhere. Anyway, it's, it's about one year <laughs> since, since this all started. And we have definitely come a very long way in that time. Um, a lot of new faces over, the, uh, over this past year. So many more artists. Um, it's, it's been a wonderful journey up so far. And I hope that you know, the next year, the years following, continue to be as great as this past one. Um, so in today, we are actually going to be doing things a little bit differently than the past um, several weeks of, or several months rather, of meetings that we have been. This is going to be a more kind of open forum, uh, very short presentations, um, virtual salon today, which is more or less in the style of our original salons, like those first couple before we actually had like a concrete structure with the whole meeting. And that's only happening because we didn't actually have somebody people set up for presentations this time around, but kind of comes full circle, right? Go back to how things were in the beginning. Um, that being said, uh, we do have a couple of people that volunteered um, prior to the start of this meeting that wanted to always do. Um, but anyway, um, Renata, you can go ahead and okay. share what you have to share. All right. Um... Good afternoon, everybody. It's my pleasure to be here with you today. Um, I wanted to share with you um, my latest exhibit. I have my first solo exhibit, just happens to be a fully expressionist exhibit, which is at the Buford Digital Corridor Base Camp Gallery. The Buford Digital Corridor is a uh, technology hub in the South Carolina low country and they're also developing one in Charleston, South Carolina. So the deep south is getting on board with the technology revolution. Took a minute but we finally got there and they were all excited when I told them about expressionism as a global art movement. That is I believe the next iteration in creative expression for um, creative artists. So um, my background is in medicine, but I retired from medicine in order to come home and be with my nonagenarian parents who um, were failing in health and also my younger brother who had a stroke. So I was a caregiver for a period of about 11 years. And for those of you who had that pathway, you know that it, you know, it's a hard walk, you know, so to speak. It's very, very stressful. Um, economically disadvantageous in a lot of ways, resembles much of this quarantine that we've been under the last year or so. And uh, to handle the stress, I um, used photography to document what was happening with uh, my parents and with myself um, as we went from point A to point B in the uh, caregiving journey. And after they passed away, I started assembling um, these um, artwork, these photographs into photo montages in order to tell a multidimensional story as to what was happening with us um, and hopefully leaving a record that younger generations in the family can relate to. And I urge everyone who is involved with um, caregiving to utilize art therapy 
because, you know, as far as I know, art is in medicine just as much as medicine is in art. So here we have some of the artworks that are in the Gullamy exhibit. And uh, I'm going to focus on, because there are many, but I'm going to focus on a subset of the artworks. These are self-portraits that I, I call this subsection synonyms. And what makes the synonyms remarkable, why I call it that, is because in, this, in the process of doing self-portraits, I came up with several images that look more like family members than like me. And um, this one is, is entitled Face. And uh, Face is a nickname for my brother Grady. Um, Grady's two years older than I am. We were playmates growing up and we're still close to this day. And uh, when I did finish this, I sent it to Grady, but I didn't have the opportunity to explain in an email um, that it was actually my face. He looked at it and he thought it was him. And he was thanking me for doing an interesting portrait of him. So somehow um, the artistic impulse had pulled into um, this androgynous uh, genetic base where my face had morphed into my brother's face. And uh, so here we have um, another self-portrait that looks an awful lot like my grandmother, Deary. Um, and Deary um, has the hemifacial mask, which is a, a theme and synonyms, but she also has a Mardi Gras type mask superimposed upon it. And, um, and as you can see, the eyes have different colors and whatnot. And uh, Deary was, uh, you know, very fair complexioned um, woman. She was Charleston Creole, but she had a secret, and her secret was that actually her mother was white, and but her mother was a white woman who was living as a black woman. Um, my great grandmother had posed as a, a mulatto because you know we have many people in the black community who are so white they pass they quote unquote pass. For being white, and we, I had many members of my family like that. Um, they vanished across the color line, and we never really heard from them again. But for some reason, my great grandmother, <clears throat> Mamie Suarez, um, came into the black community, married my great grandfather, who was William Suarez, and uh, she passed as a fair-skinned black woman who could pass if she wanted to, but chose not to. But in reality, she was white, and we found this out by DNA testing. So looking at my grandmother's portrait, my grandmother's synonym, I thought to myself, well, that double mask is on her face for a reason, uh, because she had a secret that we all didn't know about until, say, the last two years. So that's a Gullamy theory. And um, this synonym looks, is my face, but it looks an awful lot like my um, aunt Mina. Uh, Mina was my mother's sister. Uh, uh, she was very fair, my mother was very brown skinned. 
Nina got away with a lot of mischief as a kid and got my mom in trouble. But they were best buds until uh, the day that my aunt passed away. But Nina's portrait is very different. I tried to put a golden hue to her hemifacial mask, but for some reason, the pigment you know just wouldn't take. And instead, there's this very stark, contrasting imagery here, which is you know very much like her, very um, terse, um, uptight. You know, everything is black and white, um, that type of thing. And also here. This is another self-portrait and it looks just like my Uncle Bertie lights. Um, Uncle Bertie passed away in 2017. He was dying actually. As I was doing this portrait, I didn't know that he was passing away. Uh, but I visited him in the hospital shortly before he died. And, um, and I had this in an exhibit um, and when they, piece came back to me because it didn't sell at the exhibit. I gave it to my aunt as a gift and she looked at it and she thanked me. She thought it was Uncle Bertie. She, she actually thought it was him. You know, I just thought there was a resemblance, but she didn't see anything about me in it. She just saw her husband. They've been married for 50 years. So I thought that was, you know, fascinating. But what all this is telling me is that when you're working in a purely digital environment, the advantage of a digital environment is that it allows you to use, to sculpt light on an electronic canvas. So we change the shadows in subtle ways as they fall upon a face. And I think those shifting shadows that we manipulate in a digital environment um, enhances aspects of a family's visage um, that's been set up by DNA in such a way that from um, shift to shift, it highlights or downplays various aspects of that family DNA facial map that um, you otherwise just wouldn't see in other family members. So DNA in many ways um, lays down a template for our faces, what we call family resemblances. And a digital environment allows us, I think, uniquely to um, manipulate that. And I think that's an, an advantage of text expressionism. So. Hope oh, I thank you for that. That was very interesting. Uh, it, it's also, <laughs> your, your project made me, uh, reminded me of just, there, there's this thing that happens with me where um, apparently no matter where I go, no matter what part of the country I go to, there is someone that always says that I resemble very closely someone that they know. Like I've had this happen in Tennessee, Alabama, Kentucky, Ohio, here in Virginia, multiple times, Georgia, like all over. And when I went to Hawaii, people were asking me if I was made of Hawaii, which <laughs> as far as I know, I, I did not- Check your DNA, check your DNA. You may well yeah. have, um, you know, uh, Hawaiian buddy. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I didn't, I, I did do a DNA test and there was a lot of Nigerian and Ghana apparently, but 
I didn't see anything from Hawaii, but it's just mm-hmm. the fact that, um, I don't know, faces are so interesting because it's like there are like specific templates for faces and there's only so many ways that genes and stuff can be recombined to produce wholly unique visages. So there's going to be like overlap. And I I guess in my case, like I've, I've even met some of my doppelgangers. It's, it's crazy sometimes how closely we end up resembling each other and we're not actually even related. Yeah. That you know that, well, that I know of, like, as far as I know, we don't, not connected that way, but it's very interesting. But thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Also, Lee, I see you finally made it in after very, uh, about 20 minutes worth of struggle. <laughs> welcome. Um, Lee was one of the um, artists who presented last time, but he was having issues getting in today, but I'm glad that uh, he's in here now. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I actually, not only did I have issues, but well, issues getting in here today and also after the last time that we saw each other, uh, as a few of you know, I, I had um, quite a few issues. I ended up getting hospitalized and um, didn't get intubated, but um, I went from breathing about 5% of my lungs to back in full force. So, you know, happy to be here. Happy uh-huh. to see everybody. Glad to see you recovered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm much happy. And those were beautiful pieces, Vernita. Those Thank were, that you, was a beautiful piece of your of your uncle. Gorgeous, Thank gorgeous you. piece. I'm gonna go back on mute though because I want to let everybody talk. Um, but I hope to talk to you all a little bit later. Yeah. All right. Take care. All right. Did anyone else have any um, comments or questions, concerns, or just praise to give out? Because we, we do that here. No, no stranger to that. Very beautiful work. Very interesting. Yeah, wonderful work for Nada. Beautiful. I said something in the chat, but we wanted to speak out as well. Fantastic Absolutely. work. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing and thanks for, you know, also sharing the idea or the word expressionism in your materials. You know, that's definitely much appreciated to help try to create awareness. Oh, yeah. An interesting approach and purpose. Which is, uh, I think that's really interesting about it as well. Thank you. The, uh, oh, we, we do have one, one question um, from Tintin. So, is all your work sourced from family photos? No. <laughs> Matter of fact, only one part of the Gullah Me collection, the title, title of the exhibit is Gullah Me. I'm Gullah. That means I'm descended from blacks who brought as slaves to the South Carolina Low Country. And, you know, that's my, the history of my ancestry, but only one um, piece in that is from a family photo, which is the portrait of my father, uh, Vernon Lights, that I did, uh, rest- I restored it and I recreated it. And then I also included it in a photo montage, but everything else is um, either my face and an interpretation of my own face, because that's the only thing I really had to work with while in a caregiving situation. I wanted to paint, right? But I had no space and no time in which to set up an easel and brushes, and you, you can't have turpentine around sick people and things like that, you know? So I needed a sterile environment. I needed an environment that could travel in my pocketbook. So I had to fall back and use my digital cameras 
and um, my, my smartphones because they fit in my purse. And I could work if I was in the back of an ambulance, if I was at bedside in the ICU, garbed up with gloves and all this other stuff, I could still work, you know? Um, so I had to use the instruments at hand and technology made that possible. So my objective was to paint with my camera, all right? So there, a lot of photographers tell me I have a painterly approach to take pictures and I think that's true. I use colors and I and I sometimes import into Photoshop and other uh, software and just use the brushes to do certain effects. Like in Wither Tomorrow, there are a lot of different uh, the portrait that looks like my uh, uncle. It's a lot of color involved with that, and I had to do those, you know, enhancements um, with software in Photoshop and whatnot. Oh. And you know, I it's it's interesting how um, I don't know. Take we uh, creators, artists fall back on what they have access to, or find ways to mm -hmm. like, continue to create just based off of what they have around them. Sometimes I thought think that's interesting. Like, I know for me personally, I I end up getting into digital art all those years ago because that's one of the things I had regular access to. I didn't always have access to. You know, pencil and paper sometimes or even crayons to play with like but my computer was always there right so end up creating on my computer because that's what i had yes i i started off creating textiles and i, I didn't deal with faces at all I, I used paint you know to create mosaics and whatnot and uh, fabric designs and blankets and whatnot and then i evolved uh into um more complex structures and uh but i knew that i felt uncomfortable with just doing a tech piece because i know this world and i know this world likes to have an either or dichotomy and i said if i come at them this is around 2001 to 2003 if i come at the world and say oh look i got this art i made on the computer they're going to freak out because you know people are very elitist and i went to these elite schools like university of pennsylvania Brimar college and all that and I said, they're going to find a way to stick it to me. So I better learn how to draw for real, for real. And learn how to paint and sculpt for real. So I went back to school and I learned how to do all that stuff. And, and I said, I'll have a way to fall back and protect myself should they try to discredit me. <laughs> no, I knew that was coming. I wrote essays about it and all that stuff. But when push came to shove and I really needed to express myself, all that paintbrush and pencil and easel and turpentine, all that, that whole world just vanished, you know? And the only thing that was accessible that could get the job done was smartphones, iPad, Photoshop, laptop, boom, lab. Oh, uh, in the chat, there was a request to, um, is there an online version of the exhibit? That's, there's a link to? It, it, the link I put in Linktree um, has it the um, full Facebook um, artist talk. Alright, and I will go ahead and relink that in case anybody missed it. So there it is. Yep. Yep. Alright. So you know, so there were people from all over the world. There were people from the University of Ghent who showed up for the artist walk. And um, they had never heard of, a te of text expressionism. They contacted me on Instagram. 
um, beforehand and said they're going to show up. They're doing like a research project about artists and their relationships to museums and galleries. And they came across the expressionist thing and they didn't know what it was. So I, yeah, I introduced them and I gave them a link to the tech expressionism site and they showed up at the art book, which I thought was really cool. Nice. Mm -hmm. All right, well, thank you very much, Bernina.